Looking to sound like you know what's going on in the world? Social strategy, comedy, and other funny stuff? Well, join the club and settle in for the Jeff Dawaskin Show. It's not the podcast we deserve, but the podcast we all need with your host, Jeff Dawaskin. All right, Hector, thank you so much for that amazing introduction. Can't thank you enough. Kicking off episode 25 the best way possible. Getting me going. So excited to have you all here. I'm Jeff Dewaskin, host of The Jeff Dewaskin Show, and this is episode 25. Episode 25, special episode. It's a milestone. 25, as everyone knows, is the sum of every natural odd number. That's right. One, three, five, six. Seven and nine. That all adds up to 25. It can only mean one thing. It's telling you to go listen to episodes one, three, five, seven, and nine of the Jeff Dewaskin Show. And they're amazing. The premiere episode, episode three with comedian Bob Phillips, episode five with Star Wars expert Dan Zare, episode seven with comedian Ricky Glore, and episode nine with Big Al Muscovitz, Detroit radio legend. Check them all out. That's the best way to celebrate this, the 25th episode of the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Can't thank you enough for coming by. I know you got many options. And thanks for choosing us. And thanks for choosing the Halloween episode. Ooh, it's going to be a spooky one. We've got a great conversation with Kelly Maroney. She was star of Chopping Mall and Night of the Comet. So many great horror films and Fast Times at Ridgemont High. We got tons of great stories that she's going to share with us coming up a little later. Also, if you love Scream Queens, check out last week's episode with Suze Lanier Bramlett, star of the original Hills Have eyes. Lots of great stories she shared with us. You're going to love that episode as well. So with Halloween coming up, very excited. What am I going to dress up as? Well, I'm actually dressed up while doing the podcast. I am dressed as a ghost and I'm holding a bag, and in the bag is a rock. That's right, I'm Charlie Brown. But you're like, Jeff, we can't see you. I know you can't see me. You can only see me if you're on Apple TV. Ha <laughs> ha, I am no longer viewable on network television. Sorry about that, but I'll try and post a picture. We'll see how that goes. But you know what did go great? I'll tell you right now. It was a guest on the Canned Air podcast. It was hilarious. We were talking about superhero fails. So funny. Check that out. Well, I mean, check that out. But first, check out at Jeff Dewaskin Show on Twitter and follow them. And then go check. Well, for, before you check out the Canned Air, listen to all the episodes of the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Subscribe, like, share, tell all your friends about the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Then go check out the Canned Air pod. Well, you know, at first... <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah, check them out. There's tons of great podcasts. I post a lot of them on my Facebook page too, which is facebook.com slash Jeff is funny. Every time I'm on a podcast, that's the best way to get to those. But lots of them. Check those out. I mean, I mean, first, go to jeffisfunny.com and check out my website for the show. Sign up for the mailing list so I can email you about upcoming cool stuff. Then... Go check out the other podcasts. <laughs> all right. Well, I wanted to thank everyone for so passionately supporting all the sponsors from the past episodes of the Jeff Dewaskin Show. Can't thank you enough. And that leads us to this week. I'm so happy to invite Ellis Paint Company to the Jeff Dewaskin family. Ellis Paint Company, where colors are just colors. That's right. Do you need ruby, indigo, daffodil? Well, don't come here. We just got red, blue, and yellow. That's right. We just got the main colors. We make it easy for you to paint.
paint. No more fancy pretend versions of colors. You want red? Get red. If they tell you to get cherry, rose, jam, ruby, apple, mahogany, or scarlet, you go somewhere else. If you want blue, you come here. We got blue. If they tell you to get sky, ocean, indigo, denim, sapphire, or ocean, you just go somewhere else. If you need yellow, you come here. If they're all like, you should paint this gold, daffodil, mustard, corn, honey, canary, lemon. Well, you don't come here. You don't come to the Ellis Paint Company because we got yellow. You need red, blue, yellow, green. We got it for you. You need anything else? You go to one of those fancy paint stores that want to confuse you with versions of the colors that you don't actually need. Ellis Paint Company, when you need to keep it simple. Oh, I got to tell you, if you don't have one in your area, check the website. You can order the paint. It's real easy. It's great. We redid our whole house. Our whole downstairs now is red. Our upstairs is blue. The kids' rooms are yellow. And we couldn't be happier. We could not be happier. So definitely check out our sponsor, the Ellis Paint Company. Get some paint. Support the sponsor. That's how we keep the lights on. And now it's time for the social media tip. Well, this week, it's more of a rant. I'm ranting at you, Twitter. That's right, Twitter. You and this ridiculous new retweet button you put on desktop and mobile. That's right. I'm coming at you, Twitter. Why did you have to mess up a good thing? I hit the button. It retweets. Now you move the button. It's everywhere. Where is the button? I don't know where the button is. (laughs) All this so that I don't accidentally retweet something I don't mean to do. Guess what? I've been not doing that for a long time. And the people that are going to put out propaganda don't care about the one second delay. Oh, my God. I was almost swayed in this election. Thank goodness Twitter delayed that person one second and they retweeted it anyway. Oh, the world is now a better place. Twitter, put it back the way you had it and give us an edit button and stop messing with features that don't need to be messed with. And this is the social media rant. And now I'm excited to share my conversation with Kelly Maroney with you. Enjoy. All right, ladies and gentlemen, you know her from Ryan's Hope, Fast Times at Ridgemont High, Chopping Mall, Night of the Comet, and so much more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show, Kelly Maroney. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. How are you? It's hot here in Los Angeles, but I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's freezing here in Detroit. Oh. We should well, we could meet in the middle and maybe we get some decent weather. Rain for rain. So in prep, and I don't want to necessarily jump to these right now, but just I I watched Chopping Mall and I watched Night of the Comet over this past weekend to get into my mindset of talking to you. So I'm really excited to talk about those amazing movies. I want to hear all your tips and tricks of surviving 80s horror movies. <laughs> <laughs> I want to kind of talk about also, how did you get into acting? Like, What point in your life you're like, oh, I have to be an actor? Well, I always wanted wanted secretly to be an actor, but I grew up in Minneapolis and we had sort of dandelion head syndrome where if, you, if I was to say, I'm going to be an actress, I would have gotten killed, you know, and ridiculed out of school, out of my family, out of everything. So I never really said much about it, but my mother used to watch these old movies on television all the time, and I watched them with her. No matter what was going on with my mother, she just, it was such an escape for her, and I'd watch her face, and it was, I felt the same way about it. It was so glamorous, and when people had feelings in, in movies, and they were allowed to express them, where it seemed to me like in real life, uh, you were supposed to stuff down everything you're really feeling, and, you know, don't make any waves, but there, you know, they were just 
out there with everything, and it was so dramatic, and it was such a catharsis, and everyone was, it was just, I didn't, I just fell in love with that, and, but because of my mom's face when she watched movies, and so eventually, I got the nerve to, to say that I was interested in that. I just told her privately, and I ended up doing a free apprenticeship at the Guthrie Theater, which that's where you hope that you're going to end up eventually, but I was a kid, and they, they didn't pay us, but they gave us free classes, and then um, I met some Shakespearean people, and so I ended up, uh, I applied for. The thing was, is that my mom always said to me, you know, go do what you want to do. Life is really short. You'll regret it. There's nothing for you here. If you don't want to stay here, go and do what you want to do. Because she'd already had kids, and she already, um, I was a late baby, and so um, she kind of knew the folly of having people conform when they didn't feel, when they felt like they're a fish out of water and that it was not going to work out. And so uh, I was accepted at the National Shakespeare Company Conservatory, which was Pretty highfalutin because I wasn't really one of those kids that was in drama all my life. We didn't have a drama department at my school. That's why I was end- ending up at the Guthrie. So I went there and then I went back to do the fall and I was beyond green and everything. I was looking for an apartment and they wouldn't rent me an apartment. I was too young. I didn't have a job. I only had $500. And this woman, I think, was afraid for me. She said, I can maybe find you a roommate, but, you know, my friend is a casting director, and she told me that they're looking for a Midwestern Lolita, and why don't you call her? So I went over there. Her office was the size of a closet, smoke-filled, like, you know, just like Barton Fink kind of thing. (laughs) She said, well, they're closed. I had this one picture, and it was from like a, a teenage modeling thing that I was doing, and it didn't look like me at all, just running around. It's all I had, so I slid it under the door. And long story long, got the audition, was scared to death, didn't want to blow it. But I noticed that the, when they were filming me that the the man that, that I was working with looked so tired. And as I came to find out later on, you get so tired on the soap. And I reached over and I patted his face. And it was totally, well, I guess it was in character if I was super diabolical, but I was supposed to be, you know, an evil Lolita. I wasn't really supposed to care about anybody else, but I suppose it could be construed that I was manipulating him. But I really just was like, oh my gosh, he's so tired and he looks miserable and I'm not making it any better. <laughs> and um, I got the part. So like two weeks later, I'm calling my mom going, I'm on TV. Now that never happens to anyone, I know. And so it remains like one of the best stories I've ever had. And I'd love to have a better one because it's been, you know, years and years, but I haven't talked that one yet. And so after that, because I've never been on television or anything, I just desperately tried to learn everything I could as fast as I could so that they didn't ship me back to Minnesota. And they didn't. I just learned from the Louis Schaefer who played my mom kind of taught me what to do. Like, how do you know how to cry on cue when you have to do it? Like at the drop of a hat? How do you know how to learn? And that's a cliche, but because people always say to me that to this day, how do you learn all those lines? And that's like the most basic thing you can ask an actor. But you know what, when you don't know how to do it, how do you learn all those lines? So I had like this crash course. And honestly, it was a better training than had I spent four years in a classical theater school or done a four year I never, you know, I never ended up going to college for this because uh, I said, shouldn't I be going to college or something to, you know, my agent and people like that? And they said, you already got a job. That's the whole point. <laughs> <laughs> and this went to tell the director of the Shakespeare Company that I got this soap opera and I was so afraid to tell him I thought he was going to laugh at me because you're studying the great classics and you're going to go do a soap opera. And he didn't. He said, how did you pull that off? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, that's the whole point of all of this is to get a job. You got a job. Bye. See ya. I'm glad I, you know, <laughs> I could have wasted like 10 years and I'd still be, you know, <laughs> <laughs> but you do, you do need training and you, that, that's the, 
that's the best way I could have possibly gotten training because uh, from there, later came to California and did, you know, these independent low budget films and you had to go very fast. And so those of us who had been on daytime television knew how to do that. We showed up prepared and we knew that we were probably going to get one chance at it. And so when they said, oh, let's take that again, we were like, we get to do it again. I'm going to be better now. (laughs) It was just charmed. And I'm fully aware of how lucky and I was, and I still feel grateful to this day. I never take any of that for granted because I know that that stuff just doesn't happen. (laughs) But it did this one time. it, It happened. That's a great story. So right out of the bat, boom. But then, you know, I paid for it later on. I had this one teacher who was kind of snarky at that school. And he said, well, you know, dues, pay now or pay later. I thought, what a horrible thing to say to a kid. And you know what? He was right. Pay now or pay later. I've certainly had my ups and downs since then. Sometimes I think it's because I, that happened to me to give me a lot of encouragement. Because had it been really hard from the get-go, I don't know how I would have survived. I mean, I didn't have a, I wasn't a trust fund kid. I didn't have any skills. I would have ended up, you know, working, I don't know, at McDonald's. I, I don't know what would have happened. So, but, you know, if you just fling yourself out there, and plus I was too stupid to know what I was doing. And my mom said the same thing later on. She said, had I realized what I was letting you do, I never would have let you go. Because we didn't realize our idea of New York City was in the in the movies, uh, you know, like in the 50s with the skyscrapers and everything. In 1980, New York City was... Mean streets, you know, it was a, the Minnesota Strip was in play, which wasn't far from where I lived, where they kidnapped these girls from Minneapolis, from Minnesota, not necessarily Minneapolis, but, and they'd put them into a sex trade. And it was called the Minnesota Strip because they'd get all these, you know, kids from the mall, corn fed blondes and all that. And the next thing, so that was actually really happening. And uh, it was grungy and it wasn't like, uh, I went to New York years later, went back because I loved it so much. I love that city so much. And I couldn't believe how cleaned up it was. <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't know. That. I did. I did have this one time. I was, when I first got to the city and I was cruising down Broadway, I went, this is Broadway. Oh, it's terrible. There's trash and bums and it was dirty. And this is not, I kept looking at the street side like, this is not Broadway. But it was at the time. It looks way different now, obviously. And then I had the same thing when I got to Los Angeles, Hollywood, and Vine. I'm sorry, but it was a toilet when I first got here <laughs> in the 80s. And now it's, I mean, it's still, you got your Hollywood Boulevard. It's not going to ever be, it's still going to have a lot of character, as it were. But it didn't look like it didn't in the 80s, that's for sure. So from there, you know, I always wanted to be Betty Davis. So that was my ultimate goal. And back in those days... There's a real stigma attached to being on a soap opera. So I got the role Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I auditioned for... See, I told you I was going to go off on tangents. You're doing great. You're doing great. So I auditioned for Fast Times at Ridgemont High. I auditioned for the Stacey role, the Jennifer Jason Lee part, but they, they already had her, I think. So they offered me the part of the cheerleader. And up to then, I'd play an evil Lolita on the soap opera. And then I also played a psychotic killer in my first film. And so when they asked me to be the cheerleader... I couldn't believe it. <laughs> Where did they get that? So that was my, actually my first film, but it didn't come out till after Fast Times. So I went. Uh, I had to fly that myself there and everything, but it was the best thing I ever did. I was really glad I made that decision because now the movie's, uh, you know, it's in the Library of Congress and everything else. So it would have been stupid to turn that down. Cult classic. Did you get to work with Cameron Crowe on set? And it was. Things? All the time. As a matter of fact, uh, my big thing that I got to do was, I don't want to say that, I just want to say that we're not spirit bunnies anymore. There was a, a line in there in the book. I had the good fortune to have the book, which is 
It gives you a whole other slant on those people. And there was a line in the book that was not in the script. And I thought it it was the heart of the whole reason she was doing what she was doing. It was the heart of the whole speech. And I said, um, can I put this line back in here? He didn't know what I was talking about. I said, well, at one point she says, you know, it takes a lot of courage to get up here and do something you know people will make fun of. And I think that's the whole reason that she's doing what she's doing. And he went, because he was kind of like... um. Uh, I, I mean, I haven't seen him in a long time, but at the time he was kind of like, um, Doonesbury. And he was like, well, okay, try that. See if it's happening. That was like, everything. That scene was happening. I mean, he was so enthusiastic about, about the movie and he was there all the time. I did put it back and I was really glad I did because, um, it did, it did explain that character. Clips online actually show that's you saying that line. So mm-hmm. it must have, I'm sure you had to have been impressed that you read his book that he based his screenplay on, right? Maybe, but you know, that, we did stuff like that. Everybody there was like, so there was nobody just horsing around. Well, I'm going to be in a movie and no big deal. Everybody was so dedicated to what they were doing. That's, and then when I had to look at the, uh, at Mr. Vargas's when he goes, the human heart, they take us to a morgue or something, a hospital. I actually went and got cadaver books and looked at to see what I'd really be looking at in real life. <laughs> Yeah, we were all dedicated. We were like, you know, Sean Penn um, wouldn't answer to you, answer you unless you called him Spicoli. And he had Spicoli on his honey wagon trailer. Uh, I used to go in early because um, I didn't, I couldn't drive. So the te- either the Teamsters picked me up at, tra- at the crack of dawn. I had the Teamsters pick me up and I got to see Universal Studios light up and come to life and the, you know, the wardrobe and the props and the, everybody getting there. And all of a sudden you'd start to smell the breakfast burritos and it, and it was uh it was like beyond my expectations of what a movie studio was. I just thought it was so glamorous. So I'd be sitting in the in the hair and makeup trailer and Sean would be in there too because he had to have those those were extensions, you know, he didn't walk around like that all the time. So that he'd have to have, have to have his uh, extensions sewn in. He'd be really quiet and I never talked to him cuz I knew you weren't supposed to, you know, call him anything but Spicoli. I just respectful. And um one day the the hair lady says to me, you know, you kids need to be nicer to Sean. He's a good boy. He's a really nice boy. And you're so mean to him. I wasn't, per- but, you know, I was just, like, not talking to him because I didn't know what was going to happen if I did. But we, that's that's kind of how I got to know him a little bit. It was me being there so dang early and him having to be there. So uh, it was just a, a little insight. When she said, you need to be nicer to Sean, you kids. <laughs> <laughs> She, you know, she was right. She was. Right. I mean, I knew what he was trying to do. You know, I knew he was trying to hang on to his character. We, we all understood that that's what he was doing, and we were playing along, I guess, more or less. You know, and then I couldn't be at the the party, um, the, the rap party or anything, but I understand that he walked in as Sean and he introduced himself and said, "Hello, I'm Sean." <laughs> Hi, I'm Sean. He was Penn. done with Spicoli, yeah, and then he was done with Spicoli because he never talked about it ever again. Yeah. That's on. That's that's awesome. Actually, did you? I didn't watch it, but did you watch the table read? They just did a table read recently. Yeah, I know they did, and fortunately, they won a lot. Of, they they raised a lot of money for it. I didn't, but I understand that Shia LaBeouf played Spicoli. He's just yeah. never touching that character again, I, and he doesn't. I mean, he will resist all efforts to make him do so. It's not going to happen. He's never touching that character again. I don't know why, but that's his feeling. So Shia, I guess Shia LaBeouf did a really good job. But, you know, people were saying, how come you're not in that? I said, because they're trying to raise money. <laughs> that's the point of it. <laughs> it's not about people doing fast times. It's about getting, you know, Brad Pitt and Jennifer Aniston in there 
so that people will fork over a lot of money for his his charity, which is doing a lot of stuff like getting COVID tests. And I'm sure you know that he's in a lot of involved in a lot of um, humanitarian things now. And that was the point of it. I think people almost missed that because it was so fun to see to see all these people reach out. Well, I think they sort of missed the fact that there was a fundraiser in a way. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they did the same thing with Prince's Bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Exactly. It's, it's a great idea. I've always admired that. I remember the floods in New Orleans. I read someplace that uh, this guy had been pulled out of the water by Sean. He was in the in the boats and everything, just pulling, rescuing people. And I thought, how weird would that be if you're drowning and you get pulled out of the water and it's Macaulay? <laughs> <laughs> that must have been such a trip. He'll never forget that as long as he lives, you know. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's a story you tell till you die. Yeah. <laughs> and there he was, Sean Penn. <laughs> <laughs> Slap me on the back. And then from there, the reason I got Night of the Comet was because Tom Eberhard, who wrote and directed it, my my character, um, Samantha, and, you know, if people haven't seen the movies, they're going to ha- not have any idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, they should have seen Night of the Comet, and they should have seen Fast Times at Ridgemont High, so shame on them. Keep going. Well, it's also amazing how many people have seen it. You know, for a lot of people think, oh, that's a sleeper movie, but then you realize, I mean, I hear stories all the time that was my babysitter um, when I was growing up because, you know, my mom had to work nights, and I was scared, and she was afraid to leave me alone so she'd put none of the comment on because you guys had guns and i wasn't scared you were my babysitters so every, because it was on cable everybody got a really personal vibe with it it was the best thing that could have happened it's one thing to go see a movie and then it's another thing to see it on cable all the time and you go oh there it is again you know and that's how people really got to know don't know the movie that's why it feels like it has i feel like our fans are so personally connected to it is and that's that's probably why um a, a, to a large extent but uh tom eberhardt had written, written it um that i was that it's about two sisters just a quick break two sisters and it's, they wake up one day and it's the end of the world they have to figure out how to survive but then they run into this character named hector played by robert beltran who was on star trek uh, later on, much later on. At one point, my character was supposed to die. He said, so this is the reason for it. He said, I want somebody really annoying, you know, like like that cheerleader on Fast Times at Ridgemont High. No one will mind if I kill her. <laughs> oh, <no. laughs> so we, we can actually get that cheerleader from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And as it turned out, as you know, if you've seen the movie, um, he didn't kill me. You gave it away. It's a big twist. (laughs) Spoiler alert. (laughs) Spoiler alert for those of you who haven't seen it since 1984. But you're right. Those movies, that movie and a lot of movies in those early 80s when everyone was just getting cable. When I rewatched it this weekend, I was like, all of a sudden I realized, wait a minute, I've seen this movie. Uh (laughs) I've totally seen it. But it was fun to watch it again. Because you remember what you were like when that movie was out. It brings people back to, you know, their own lives and what connection they had with it. They remember what was going on when they saw it. So I go to do conventions and stuff. People will say, you know, when I saw Chopping Mall, it was the first time I bought my own ticket and I took the bus into the city and I saw it by myself. It was my first movie ever that I did that for. And, you know, somebody else said that was my first date with my wife. So, yeah, these stories are a hoot. You know, you really feel connected to your fans that that way, the people that love the movie. And they they show you so much appreciation that, you know, it just really touches your heart. You feel like, well, you know, I didn't waste my life. I'm doing something that people are, you know, are enjoying. And that's great. Sometimes you can feel like, what am I even doing this stuff for? (laughs) I think we all do, you know, just go, why do I try? But then you have that feedback of, oh, that's why. 
I'm really, I'm really glad that, you know, I didn't, I didn't give up the ghost there. And I think everybody feels that way. We all need that. And especially actors do because we're shooting it in a, a vacuum sort of in the crew sees us. We know, you know, but then when the audience finally sees it, we've done it. We, but then they remind us that, you know, we weren't just yelling into a void there. <laughs> Somebody heard us. A tree fell in the forest and they heard it. That's the wonderful thing about being, in, you know, in, in movies and. That's why I love being an actor, because it's giving other people a personal experience. It gives them permission to, to feel like they have a catharsis. Like, you can go to a movie, you might not realize that you're feeling sad and traumatized, but all of a sudden you're crying your eyes out, and and the movie's allowed you to get in touch with a feeling that you might have, like, been avoiding or um, not even really aware that you had, and then all of a sudden it's like therapy. I mean, with horror, you get so tense about everything that's going on in the world and then you know you watch a maniac running around killing people and it's and all that fear come, comes out i think it's very cathartic for that i think it serves a real purpose absolutely night of the comet was it held up pretty good i i mean i was i enjoyed it the soundtrack is amazing by you know, the way you know it's so 80s we, we, we were so 80s that we were we didn't even know how 80s we were at the time but that was just us that's how girls wore their hair that's the kind of music that was there, you know, that's how they talked. That was what was important at the time to them, you know. And Tom actually wrote it as a bit of a, a satire. He saw it, he sat down his, his daughter's friends and he said, okay, if it's the end of the world, what would you do? And they said, well, we'd go get guns. And, you know, my dad taught me how to take me to the shooting range. I'd be fine. And, and then everything would be free. Like they started to realize everything would be free. You could just go in the store and get whatever you wanted. And he just watched the reasoning of these 80s kids <laughs> and he just wrote it down. <laughs> <laughs> Both Night of the Comet and, and for sure uh, Chubby Ma, your, your hair was on point 80s. It was like, <laughs> I mean, you're made, I forget, it was really, <laughs> it's just so great. That's why I really wore it too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, big hair covers up a multitude of sins. Like if you don't like the shape of your face or you don't, you want to take attention away from a, a, a facial feature that you don't care for, the bigger your hair is, the less it shows. So, but that's we were hiding under that big hair to a large degree. I mean, I was it. I felt like I had a. You're looking at my hair. You're not looking at you know my. <laughs> no, you don't need but, to hide anything. You're- we all felt that way, though. I think you know. I mean, everybody's everybody's self conscious about themselves, and I think that the big hair was. You know, if you got big hair, you were styling no matter what back in those days. Oh, yeah. So your sister co-star in that was was Catherine okay. Mary Stewart. Right. He went on to uh, The Last Starfighter. I remember that. And then yep. I'm glad you mentioned Hector was in Star Trek because it was when I was watching it, I'm like, he looks so familiar. <laughs> Even like, Raul was his movie that, yeah. that that brought him to attention. And then that's how we got Mary Warnoff to be. He recommend, he he said, Mary, would you like to do this movie with me? And that's how we got her to play the scientist. The scientist with a conscious? conscious. Yes. <laughs> yes. He was in Eating Raul with uh, Mary Warnoff and pa- Paul Bartel were cannibals and and he was Raul. <laughs> I don't know if you haven't seen it. It's a really, really odd early 80s movie. It's got raves and it's, it should get raves. It's hilarious. And then also Jeffrey Lewis, who's a character actor, you know, for the ages. Yes. Lots of lots of fun uh, actors and actresses in that movie. And then the, the whole scene at the mall. You like you like movies with scene, big scenes in malls, apparently at night. But the... Uh... <laughs> you know, it wasn't planned. Somebody called it my mall trilogy. <laughs> it was just where I... And, and I used to be so... I'd say, you know, somebody... One of my friends gets a movie and goes to France or goes to Sweden or whatever. 
And I get a movie and they go, okay, your call time is at 8 a.m. in Van Nuys. <laughs> Van Nuys. <laughs> what, what happened to Paris? <laughs> I'm soundstage Sally. I just, whatever I get, it's, I shoot like somewhere in a warehouse somewhere. That's so funny. I, I got a big chuckle when you get, you get mad at your sister and night of the comet for trying to steal the only other boy that's alive. <laughs> Yeah. And you know what? That was written. It was so funny that we just like died laughing and felt, fell on the grass. We were in the, written that we were in a yard or something like that. And I thought, well, it is really, really funny. But then when we shot it, it wasn't that funny anymore because it was true. Same with the, when the stock boys have us tied up, like, you know, sweet Polly purebred <laughs> right. on, on the train tracks. He's holding the gun to my head. And I say, what do you want us to do? Pay for this stuff or what? That was supposed to be funny, but you know, do you get a lot? of dates this way that kind of thing but it wasn't he had a gun to my head so we got to see how the script read so hilarious that i was cracking up on the plane to myself which is embarrassing but i couldn't it, it was one of the most entertaining things tom everhart was a genius at making his scripts really entertaining and that's how you get readers to read them that's how you get green lights on your movies is make the reader entertained but it was super entertaining but then a lot of it as it played was different and we had one producer who would come running and going why are you people goofing off? This is serious. So we would do something that was a little bit more pulled back. Another producer, okay, this was Lane Crawford and Andy Lane, and they had done Valley Girl before, and they had a smash hit. So they're kind of, you know, following along that line. And I don't know if Tom, he had to have known he was writing a social commentary, but he won't admit to it. So, you know, Tom's got kind of like this sort of cynical view. And then um, Wayne wanted it to be like a comedy. You know, he said, we can't, we want the audience to feel good. So we would have, we'd have, nobody really knew what it was. So it turned out to be its own thing. Because Andy would say, she's got to be serious with that. Why is she laughing? It's the end of the world. <laughs> and Wayne would go, no, 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 no. That's what's funny about it. And, and Tom would just, you know, he was just running around shooting so fast. He didn't know if he was coming or going. Actually, somebody at the LA Weekly said, this movie doesn't know what it, what it's supposed to be. <laughs> It became its own thing, you know, which is it, it was funny. It ends on a it ends on a very funny line where mm -hmm. Regina's now with her new family and you're across the street and they don't cross and then you go to cross and they're like, You don't cross against the light and then the the boy the, the, and then he almost hits you in the car and he's like, Well, you shouldn't cross against the light and it's like it's just so fun. I know you're like oh. <laughs> Then you drive off with him. It's <laughs> that was funny. That worked out funny. A lot of people don't realize that's DMK from in the beginning when she's playing the game and somebody keeps beating her and DMK and she goes, who's DMK? And he was DMK. It said it on his license plate. His dad must have owned a Mercedes dealership or something. Oh, that is funny. I didn't get that either. But now I'm mad at myself because it's so <laughs> it's such a subtle little nod. Okay, that's that's brilliant. Okay, thank you. You added a whole nother layer to it. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kelly. <laughs> okay, so that's cool. That's awesome. And then I, I do want to talk about Chopping Mall because, well, how can sure. we not? But is there anything else, though, besides of, of the things, besides the things that we've talked about, which is like your favorite thing that people don't talk enough about? Well, I really like a thing I did called Face Down. I did it again with Tom Everhart. Uh, it was the second movie we did together. And like, we've done two movies together, but that was the next one. And it came like over 10 years later. And I'm a schizophrenic. Um, it's a kind of like a gumshoe noir type thing. I did it with Joe Montana and Peter Rieger and Adam Ant. And it was play played on Showtime. So 
And it never, it never became a Blu-ray or anything like that. But that was actually one of the, my most favorite jobs I ever had. So there's that one. And I always like what I'm doing now. You know, whatever people say, what's your favorite movie? I go, what I'm doing right now is my favorite thing, you know. And I like all of them for different reasons. What I learned and who I met and what I had to, because actors are always, you're always you in that imaginary circumstance. You can't be anybody else. It just draws pieces out of you that you wouldn't have known were there otherwise, maybe. That's the reason it's hard to choose which was your favorite part. So, um, but then, um, mall trilogy again. After, after that, Jim Wynorski, who wrote and directed Chopping Mall, had seen Night of the Comet. And they were looking for the final girl in Chopping Mall. And, um, I apparently at one point she was supposed to get naked. I don't know. As it wasn't the case with, well, by the time I was there. And he wanted somebody that was kind of funny, like they had the kind of, and I actually, we didn't end up having Allison be that much of a smart aleck at all. But he wanted some levity in it. He wanted somebody who you, you could believe was able to fight for herself, but yet was sweet, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't too harsh. And so he decided he wanted me. And, and it was uh, Julie Corman, and it was his first major thing that they were going to let him do. I was blown away because I walked in and um, I'd been up all night shooting the Zero Boys, which we had to shoot all night long. So I was exhausted. I met Jim. Everything was fine. I went in to meet um, Roger and, and Julie, and all of a sudden it hit me. This is Roger Corman. <laughs> and I started to get like a little uptight, you know, I was a little tense. So like, he, he goes, what's the matter with you? And I said, well, I've had enough sleep, and now I realize what I'm doing here. <laughs> and he's, don't be nervous. Don't be nervous. And I wish I knew who this was, um, because she did another movie after this, too. I can't think of who it was right now. She had been wanting to use her, but the, I guess she was a Mormon and she didn't want to do nudity and she didn't want to swear. And so and this will happen with parts. Um, so I ended up, I didn't have to do nudity by then and I didn't care if I swore or not. I actually didn't re really end up swearing at all other than come, here, come on you little bastard. But this will happen over and over again. Um, I remember when I was a kid, they were casting um, The World According to Garp and the babysitter had to get naked. And so everyone was like, and you know, it's if something is you have to get naked, don't go if you don't if you're not willing to do it because that really makes them mad. So a lot of people didn't go. She wasn't naked. <laughs> We're all like, uh, I was misinformed. <laughs> I think when they find the right person and the person doesn't want to take their clothes off, or they decide they don't have to take that, it happens after the fact. And then I was also on another movie where there was no nudity in it, and this um, director was pressuring one of the other actresses to take her clothes off. And she was freaking out, you know, and um, I said, you don't have to do it. But she felt like she had to, you know, I could, because I was really lucky because I, I was already working when people met me, so they were more likely to treat me professionally. But people were coming in, and it was like their first job or something. People felt like they were more easy prey, if you will. You know, brought the predator kind of thing out right, because... Right. So things that I've got to avoid a lot of th bad, bad, bad things that have happened to other people just because, I mean, I already knew that, you know, if somebody's doing that to you, they're not serious about wanting to work with you. There's something else going on there. But I don't, you know, I don't know what would have happened to me if I didn't have that, uh, the good fortune to already have that established thing or that some, somebody's going to know I know better than that. Again, I'm really lucky and I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> so. Chopping Mall is the story of well, the setup of Chopping Mall. I just watched it, so it's like it's it's it's, it's fresh in my brain. the The beginning of Chopping Mall is a presentation just to set up the fact that these robots are going to now be the security for 
this mall. Mm-hmm. You had like two actors, very character actors. I can't remember their names, but they, the one guy was in a lot. And they're like, wow, that seems dangerous. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's Mary Warnoff and Paul. Uh, Mary Warnoff is in that scene in Paul Bartel. Yes. They, they did a little cameo. Dick Miller is like, they had actually did a documentary about him called, um, I, I forget, of course, what I, that guy who's in everything or something like that about his career because he had an amazing career. That's the kind of, see, people, I don't, I don't know. People think that they want to be famous. You know what's, what's, what works about being in this business is being a character actor, working all the time, getting these great, great parts. Nobody's bothering you. Nobody's, you know, trying to put you in magazines or anything like that. And you just do your work and have your life. And you're always there because, and if you're a character actor too, you, you, nobody even cares what you look like that much because it's, you know, you're not being hired for your beauty. Um, and that's really the way to be. If you, if you just want to have a career and a nice life, it's not the famous thing. Nobody gets that. <laughs> but that's, I mean, that I, I suppose it, I suppose if that's what you really want, you're not going to be happy with what I'm talking about, but I'm, that's my idea of a good time. Yeah. I think Bill Murray once said, if you want to be rich and famous, try just being rich first and see if that does it for you. <laughs> yeah. Cause probably it will. It will. I mean, some cultures think that fame is a, um, a karma that if you get famous, um, it's because you have to work your, repaying a debt and sometimes when you when you have to show up as the person who played so and so you you can kind of feel why they think that (laughs) 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 you kind of know why that why they they came to that conclusion i don't know i guess people get into it for all kinds of reasons and people some people start out being an actor and what they they think they want to be an actor but what they really want is um, a validation that they're going to get someplace else or, I mean, there's all sorts of psychological reasons why people go into one thing or another. And then you figure out it wasn't really that profession. It was something else that you wanted. And, you know, you kind of figure that out as you go along. Yeah. Those <laughs> are great, great words of wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, Did, what's the essence of what I really want here? Are there, are there any roles that you regret doing? No, I guess not. I guess not because you learned something. And also, I didn't really have a... Um, you know, people think that you get to choose your roles. And unless you're like, you know, Brad Pitt, you don't. You take what you're given. You take what you get and you you know, make the most out of it. Actually, as you, as you go along, when you're establishing yourself, then all of a sudden, whether you're Brad Pitt or not, you realize, I don't have to do anything I don't want to do. And you don't really know that when you start out. You always think, well, what if I turn this down? It turns out to be the best thing I could ever have done. And I blew it. You have to get over that attitude because... Otherwise, you'll just do anything that comes along. And then on the other hand, there's always on the other hand, when I was doing these horror movies, my agency was saying, you are destroying your career with this stuff. I want you to start turning this stuff down. In fact, there there was one that was so stupid, I did turn it down. And they were like, we're so proud of you. Thanks for not doing that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And at the time, they were right, because uh, horror was really looked out on. And uh, it 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 was a career killer. You know, I mean, people were still bothering George Clooney about having done the, the attack of the killer tomatoes. What did you do that for? He said, um, I got to work. I got a job to pay the rent. And then, so I had a double whammy. I first had soap operas, which were looked down at at the time. And then what do I do is like, I get into town, people start to audition me for stuff. And what do I end up taking horror movies? Well, I had to pay the rent and eat and stuff like that too. And so I was just happy to get stuff like that and, and be working out what I knew how to do. Cause I knew how to do nothing else. And they were say, saying, you're, if you were known as a horror person, you're, you know, 
became way down the totem pole. Not that way anymore. So I have lived long enough to see the worm turn, and now it's cool to do horror, and people go into horror on, pers- on purpose, whereas before, like a writer-director would do a horror movie to get his foot in the door, you know, to be allowed to like direct something or, or write something. And now they do it because they like to do horror, and it's a whole different vibe. And you can see it, too. It's so much more... In a way, there's a lot of things that are so much um, more sophisticated because of that. It's an exciting time. Horror had a really uh, a strong renaissance. Well, as you can see, it's it, it made it mainstream. Mainstream people are doing horror. It's on television. And it was not before. It was always kind of a low-rent kind of thing. Same with daytime. Joan Fontaine came on to play my agent when I was on, because my character was an actress. And she had done it because Elizabeth Taylor was a huge fan of All My Children. They offered her to come on the show, and she asked Richard Burton, should I do that? And he said, more people are going to see you in one day than have seen me on stage possibly in my entire career. And she's like, okay. So she did it. So then she gave all these other actors permission to come on and do these guest spots because they're all feeling like Joan Fontaine. She said, I, I, the reason I did it was because I called up Zabar's to get my groceries. And the girl on the phone said, Joan Fontaine, didn't you used to be an actress? And she said, oh, that's not what I want to hear, you know. And so she played, she was lovely. That was quite the experience, you know. So I got, to, I got an opportunity working on my feet to learn stuff I was never going to learn anywhere else. That's awesome. I do want everyone to go watch. You can stream Choppy Mall. It's and watch Kelly kick butt. She's got the kind of the Sarah Connor thing going on and taking on robots and kicking ass. And then in the end, finding love. So it, it's really a love story. It's really a love story. It and is. And oddly, no chopping. No chopping happens at all. No, it, it was called Killbots, but then it, nobody was picking up on it. And Roger Corman, who's a salesman, said, something wrong with the title and legend has it that the maintenance guy said i don't know because he's watching it he thought it was a real piece of crap you know so he goes um why don't you call it chopping mall (laughs) (laughs) went ding i don't know if that that is the legend i have no idea if it's true or not we'll go with it everybody's big complaint is there's no chopping in this (laughs) (laughs) that was my big complaint too we got it and there's it was presented to me as okay this is going to be shot at the beverly center and uh, Robert Short's going to do the robot, and he'd done Daryl Hannah's tail and Splash, and he was like, big stuff. And I thought, wow, class act. This is, this is going to be okay to do. I think we all thought that. And then pretty soon we hear it's going to be called Killbots. And we go, ooh. And then we heard it was going to be called Chopping Mall. And we oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Please, no. <laughs> and you know, for years and years, that thing would come on, and I would, I was, I was mercilessly teased and ridiculed for having done that movie back in the day. And now, haha, <laughs> it's everybody's like it's more popular now than it ever was. Which you know, I don't know why. I have no idea why, but I'm really glad people love it. And but it, it's kind of indicating for me because I did take so much crap for being in that movie. So. I can't believe you were in Chopping Mall, man. <laughs> well, you kicked ass in Chopping Mall. <laughs> Thank they, you. If they so, made it today, it could take place in a Sir La Tab, and it could make yeah, a little well, more sense in a kitchen setting. <laughs> That's what they should bring back. Like They're bringing back all the other classic horror movies like Halloween and stuff. They should bring you back and save another mall. Well, it's different now. So, I mean, there is an idea out and about regarding that. Um, I don't know what's going to happen with it. But it would be bigger, you know, it would be 
a different kind of thing. Yeah, I would definitely be in, I'd be in Chopping Mall again. Because, you know, I lived. That's the cool thing about being the final girl. Sometimes they do part two and you think, oh, rats, I died in that. <laughs> <laughs> but if you're the final girl, you could, you're always going to be in the second one. <laughs> That's awesome. So where can people follow you and keep up with everything you're doing? Well, right now I have a movie at festivals. It's a HP Lovecraft film called um, The Deep Ones. And it's playing the festivals right now. So I'm doing a lot of interviews and stuff for that. It's at Sitges and, and um, the UK and Spain and every place. I'm really happy that people are paying so much attention to it. But my website is kellymaroney.com, K-E-L-L-I-M-A-R-O-N-E-Y, which people misspell my name, but don't feel bad. I was on True Blood and they misspelled my name on the credits. <laughs> I got, yeah, I got a, I got this review in The Hollywood Reporter and it was so nice except for they spelled my name wrong through the whole. I think they used autocorrect in the middle of the night, you know, and just sent it. My name was spelled wrong. And I said, you guys spelled my name right. I called them up and said, my name is misspelled. They go, well, it's a, it's good, a great review, isn't it? I went, yeah, they were just like, thank you, you know. Count your blessings, and they hung up on me. <laughs> so you know, they say as long as you spell my name right, but apparently you don't even need it to be spelled right. But in this case, you would because you won't find me. I, I think you might actually find me on the Internet, if, even if you spell my name wrong. I'm on Facebook. I have Actress Kelly Maroney, and I have a fan group, and I have Twitter, Kelly Maroney, and Instagram, Kelly Maroney. I figured it was easier to just stick with my name because uh, why make it hard for people to find you? <laughs> I just, I got on Twitter. I haven't done, I'm Twitter. I got on TikTok, but I haven't done it yet because it's, it seems so confusing. But I had to go with real Kelly Maroney, but for that one, because there was a Kelly Maroney on there already. I used to always be the only one. I never had to worry about that. But kids are now, have grown up and their name is Kelly Maroney, like my name. Follow Kelly on all the social medias. I can't thank you enough for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to me babble. No, it was brilliant. Love Be it. Before we started, he said, I like when people go off on tangents. And so I did because I wanted to please you. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Consider me pleased. Thank you very much. Good. I appreciate it. Thank Good. you. Thank, Thank you. you. Nice to nice talk time. to you. Nice to talk Thank to you, you too. Bye. Bye. Well, that was fun. Kelly Maroney is awesome. Check out her movies. Check out her new stuff. Follow her on the socials. You won't regret it. And now it's time. Everyone's favorite part of the show. <laughs> and it's time for the hashtag roundup hashtag of the week. And this week we picked a great one from brand new McMahon and his game hashtag you're it, which is on Tuesdays on the hashtag roundup. This hashtag is hashtag bad names for a slasher flick, obviously, in honor of Chopping Mall. We're going to do that one. All right. And as always, I'm going to read a bunch of tweets. They're going to be retweeted at Jeff Dwoskin Show on Twitter. Go follow those folks, retweet them, and then also get the hashtag round of app. Play along with the hashtag games, and one of your tweets can show up on a future episode of the Jeff Dwoskin Show. You will be the envy of all your friends. All right, here we go. Hashtag bad names for a slasher flick. Teletubbies 3, Dipsy's Revenge. Freddy versus Jason Robards. <laughs> The classic actor. Children of the Corn Dogs. 
Mmm, that is scary for your tummy. The silence of the yams. Hello, Clarice. Can you hear the yams a-boiling? Seesaw? Actually, that sounds fun. I married an axe-murdering alien who knows what I did last summer. Ooh, frightening. Last house on the left has a lovely garden, actually. (laughs) Oh, but don't pick the tomatoes. They'll kill you. Nightmare on Elmo Street. That's scary, especially if you're an adult stuck in a room for a long period of time with a kid. The Nebraska butter knife incident. Oh, sweet Lord. All right. The Texas Coast Law Massacre. If you've ever been to a picnic, you know it's not that hard to massacre Coast Law. Stabby man. (laughs) That's horrible. Freddy versus Jason in divorce court. Friday the 13th, bowling night. Ooh, that is scary. Especially if uh, you have to wear someone else's shoes and you don't know where those shoes have been. Ooh, frightening. Well, that's it. That is hashtag bad names for a slasher flick. How fun. All right, check out hashtag roundup. You know the drill. And we have come to the end of yet another glorious episode of the Jeff Tawaskin Show. I can't thank you enough for spending this time with me. Please subscribe and like and tell all your friends about the show. Sign up for our mailing list at our website, jeffisfunny.com. I'll send you emails, all that kind of good stuff. Follow us on Twitter at Jeff Tawaskin Show, Instagram at Jeff Tawaskin Show. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, everywhere. Subscribe, like, share, and we'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Jeff Dwoskin Show with your host, Jeff Dwoskin. Now go repeat everything you heard and sound like a genius. Catch us online at thejeffdwoskinshow.com or follow us on Twitter at Jeff Dwoskin Show. And we'll see you next time.